good to see each of you. I rejoice in being able to be with you. And we'll look forward to Jeff's sermon next week. A good brother in Christ. Very, very humbly thankful. A blessed, happy Mother's Day to you. I pray each of you are richly blessed by this. I, I thought, C.S. Lewis says, God is so masculine that all creation seems feminine in comparison. That's quite a statement. Where then is femininity? We say Happy Mother's Day. Where, whence cometh femininity? Within the Godhead, but hear me carefully. It is in, you can see it, adumbrated, hinted at in the symbiosis, the symbiotic nature of the relationship between sender and sent, initiator and responder. You can see it in the symbiotic relationship between willed, directed, and obeyed. There's a beauty in God of both initiation and response. And from this, he has created this beautiful, artful thing we call woman, womanhood. So I wish you a very blessed, happy Mother's Day. Take your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. Stand with me as we read from verses 12 through 15. 12 through 15. And I do encourage, I sent an email out on this very topic. Titus 2 ministry is an organic, not structural ministry, which seeks to allow, enable the older women to obey God's direction, shaping beauty in the lives of the younger women. That's Saturday. Colossians 3.12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. As the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, 
which is the perfect bond of unity. Blessed Father, how precious is thy word to us, breathed out, impacting us gently, sweetly, sometimes with force and hardness, but we receive it, and we are so thankful for your grace to us in Jesus. Now, Lord, speak. Speak through thy word and show us the beauty of the privilege of becoming like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Immediate context of this passage, which I pull from Colossians 3, 12 through 15, put on as God's chosen who are holy and beloved. Immediate context. Following the list of what to kill, what to put off, and what to stop. That's verses 5, 8, and 9. Verse 5, kill sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. 3, 8, put to death anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. 3-9, stop lying to each other. So if somebody asks you how you're doing, speak truth in love. Stop lying to each other. And Paul bases these imperatives upon the indicatives, saying in verse 9 and 10, look at 9, seeing that you have put off the old man with its evil practices, and you have put on the new man who is being renewed in there's the word epigenosco, a real knowledge after the image of its creator. But what is this renewal? Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and following. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 provides a a powerful picture of what the renewal looks like in the physical realm. Paul says, We do not lose heart, though our outer man is wasting away. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Well, as you get older, that makes more sense. For 
this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal contrasted with light, weight contrasted with, well, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The three descriptions of the affliction match the three of the glory. Verse 18, as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the image of Christ within us, which is thus being constantly renewed as Christ's likeness is being reproduced in the life of the Christian. Hmm. But is this true of me? That's the question. Is this true of me? Is my speech is my behavior, are my attitudes, my thoughts displaying Christ-likeness more than they did last year? That's the goal, and that brings incredible sense of assurance when you can look on your history and realize Master, you are making me more like you. Oh, the joy. Observe verse 10, though, <clears throat> which is being renewed. The word there is for you, grammar, persons, a present passive participle. What's that mean? Present, it's an ongoing daily action by God in our hearts, in our minds, in our behavior. Passive, it's not something you're doing. It's what God is doing. He is the renovator. We are just obedient pieces of clay. Oh, we're kicking against him. Been there, done that. Philippians 4 illustrates, Paul says, So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But I'm Presbyterian. What do I have to fear? You explain the scripture then. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for the good, for his good pleasure. But it's God working in me. I don't have to do anything, really. Why does the scripture say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? There is a divine balance between 
divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It is biblical and woven throughout the whole. So, how is your renewal proceeding? You know, dear brother Dan, Ostendorf with some men are going to begin the renovation, the renewal of our master bathroom to make it more accessible for me. I am humbled. You know, if two weeks from now or three weeks from now, I go into the bedroom, I wheel into the bathroom, and it looks the same. It looks the same. It's, he's got the same attitudes he had before. He talks and sounds just like he did six months ago. Wouldn't you conclude if I wheeled in there and saw everything was basically the same? He ain't done no renovation. Some of us are like that. Bathroom, unrenovated. But I'm a Presbyterian. How is the renovation going? What's Jesus working on? Present tense in your life. You should be able to immediately identify. If you can't, you don't want to look like the same Presbyterian you have for decades because that's a, a very serious problem. He renovates the heart he lives in. 311. 3.11. It is not only the old sinful habits and attitudes that are done away in the new creation, but, but it also expands beyond the man to the interpersonal relationships. The barriers that divide man from man are done away with as well. Racial barriers, cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers. But in the new creation, of those who are in Christ, these barriers are irrelevant. They have no justification to their existence. And this, truly, this was one of the most remarkable achievements in the ancient world, as within Christianity, the old, well-established and known by all barrier between Jew and Gentile was abolished in the Christian churches, obliterated. Now while natural and racial idiosyncrasies may survive, 
they contribute only and especially to the living variety of the people of Christ, but not so as to create or perpetuate any difference in spiritual status. So we have differences culturally. We have differences religiously. The elders, one of the elders, we were discussing this morning, and he's a virtual Heinz 57 pup. Well, that's me too, perhaps. But we are now in Christ. There should be harmony, peace, and love. In the thankful Colossians, this is how we open the book. Paul did something revolutionary when he sent Onesimus back to Philemon. Telling Philemon, Onesimus is coming back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, now a dear brother. Radical transformation of the relationship. And we might say that while the distinction of social function might remain as it did between Philemon, the slave owner, and Onesimus, the slave, the distinction of class is destroyed because they were now brothers in Christ. This happens, and the way it happens, it made the gospel make a profoundly deep impression on the pagan world. A former slave, still a slave, might become the pastor preaching in a first century church to free men and free women. Radical transformation socially. So while the restoration of the original image of creation is yet to be universally displayed, Romans 8, how good and pleasant it is when here in this day the revelation of the sons and daughters of God is anticipated and our divided world confronted with a witness more eloquent than preaching. As Tertullian said, the ancient world looked upon the Christians and said, Behold how they love one another. Wow. Explanation, verse 12. Under the old covenant, God chose his lights out of all nations to be his own possession, and he commanded them to be careful to keep his commandments and to be holy as he was holy. Even so, in parallel, 
men and women of the new creation, those whom he has chosen, positionally holy, relationally beloved in Christ. God has set apart for himself into our hearts he has poured his love. We should inevitably anticipate that we should exhibit something, a growing something of his great heart. Don't you think? <laughs> the glory of verse 12 and following is we get to become like God's character. Wow. We get to become like his heart, his character, his attitudes. Wow. Incredible. Jesus made this point in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Peacemakers will be known as sons of God and that members of God's family should be compassionate just like their father. So even so, and possibly echoing the teachings of Christ, Paul tells the Colossians, put on a compassionate heart kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wondrous graces perfectly blended in the character and conduct of Jesus Christ. What is heart of compassion? <laughs> well, the word heart speaks of the centrality of this in the Greek, it sounds like this, splognizomai, speaking of the bowels. Splognizomai, it almost sounds like something the bowels would do, but it's deep, deep in the gut, compassion. A pity, a mercy, a grace, a deep feeling over someone's misfortune, discomfiture. The father started getting a hold of me in the early 90s, first in the affliction of my wife with MS, which threw us into the healthcare scene. What does a man in the belly of a fish learn to do? Pray. I started reading my Bible seriously, reading the Gospels, and I come across statements like Mark 6, Jesus saw a great crowd and moved with compassion. 
Matthew 20, two blind men. We, we want Master, Master, our eyes to be opened and moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. Luke 7, city of Nain, he comes across the funeral procession, a widow following the casket, only son of her, a widow, and moved with compassion. And what I had the experience of, I did not then understand, but it made sense, sort of. Whenever I would read the passage and read the word compassion, it was like I was suddenly looking into a deep, deep well that I wanted to see, go to, experience, understand. I didn't get it, but I learned to start praying, Father, Put the compassion of Jesus into my heart. And he took an arrogant Pharisee of Pharisees, true blue son of the Stone Campbell movement, second great awakening, and softened me, giving me a heart for hurting people utterly changing me. What does compassion look like in your life? As you look at people whose lives are messed up, you know, what, what are some evidences of a person with a life messed up? Well, they tend to behave ways maybe they shouldn't. And they tend to say things that perhaps they wouldn't. Do you have compassion or immediate anger at what they said? Can you look past the dysfunction of what was communicated and see a life that is just a little bit messed up. That's compassion. Kindness. We know what a malignant tumor is. We also know what a benign tumor is. Kindness is benign. It has no malignancy in it. It is a grace which pervades the whole nature, mellowing all of which would have been harsh and austere. Where there is harshness and austerity, there is a lack of kindness. Kindness does not have harshness or austerity. Kindness does, kindness does not have the shrewdness of the serpent. 
It only has the harmlessness of the dove. And that is God's word to you, church family. I am looking for compassionate hearts. I am looking for kindness in you, my sons and daughters, he, I think, would say. Romans 2, 4 has one of the fascinating passages on this word. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God uses kindness to pull us toward him. Is this my pattern with people? Do I use kindness to help the one who is in error? Or do I just get angry? Kindness, harmlessness of the dove. Third word, humility. Uh, a word the lexicon say was not a highly esteemed concept in the pagan world. <laughs> and no, I don't imagine humility. It's not highly esteemed today. But God views it very differently. Micah 6, 8. He has told thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Do justly, do right by your neighbor from you to them. And when they don't do it back to you, you give them mercy, not anger. Mercy. And you walk humbly with thy God. The Lord speaks in Isaiah 66, similarly, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, where then is the house you build for me? But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Listen to thy master, who says to some of us, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, lowly in heart, humble, and you will find rest for your souls. Humility dear brother, sister, is especially appropriate 
for sheep. If you understand the nature of sheep, you ought to be humble. Sheep wander, get themselves in messes, have to be constantly cared for by the shepherd. You ought to be humble, knowing that it doesn't call us a family of serpents or dobermans, but of sheep. Humility indicates lowliness of mind. Am I a lowly of mind person? Humility indicates a deep sense of one's moral littleness. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. If you see yourself increasingly as the Father sees you, you will be humble. One lexical thought, very helpful. In scripture, humility is an inside-out virtue produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than to others. This brings behavior into alignment with this inner revelation to keep us from being self-exalting, self-determining, self-inflated. This is the publican in the temple. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Which one, Pharisee or publican, do you think God sees when he looks at you? You're closer to one than the other, and probably none of us is purely one or the other. Humility, compassion, kindness, Humility, meekness. Meekness is gentleness or mildness out of bridled strength. It is a divinely blended virtue. Listen to the words from Second Timothy 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. That's what you look for in a pastor. That's what you look for in an elder, in a deacon, in a mature Christian. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, 
correcting his opponents with gentleness. The life of Moses the Lord used many times to speak into my heart, impress my heart with a man of God. Numbers records several incidents in which we see the most incredible humility in this man, meekness. Numbers 12. Now the man, Moses, was very meek, more than all others who were on the face of the earth. Number 16, Korah comes, Korah's rebellion, bringing 250 men with him. And they assemble themselves against Moses. You have gone too far, they say. And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. When accusations come against you, is this how you respond? Or do you get angry and blow up at them? How do I respond when accusations are made against me? Or do I come out swinging with my mouth? This is meekness. Anger, dear brother, sister, anger has no place in the meek man or woman. Long-suffering. Long-suffering means, or patience is long-suffering, means long passion. And this virtue of patience embraces steadfastness and staying power. If in English we had an adjective long-tempered to correspond to a short-tempered person, this could be the quality of being long-tempered, which mercifully is a quality of God. Oh, my. It is the Father's pleasure and desire that his churches, his family of believers will begin to look and sound and behave like him more and more so there won't be quarrelsomeness, anger, outbursts of anger, but there will be long-tempered patience, patience. Pastoral reflection. What if God was as patient with you as you are with her? <laughs> That's a scary thought. What if God was as patient with you as you are with him? 
as potentially troubling as these verses are, they are the word of God. Verse 13, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. But they haven't asked me for forgiveness. Oh, teacher, how many times do I forgive? Up to seven times? No, I say, say to you, up to 77 times. So you're angry at someone. Christ has either already paid the price for his or her wrong against you, or they'll suffer it themselves in hell. What are you doing getting angry? It's below you who are chosen, holy, and beloved of God. It's below you. Love 315. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Tammy asked me on the way here, so how's the sermon? I said, well, it's a sermon. Doctrine. If you believe you are a child of God, chosen by the Father, holy and beloved, then the indicatives are yours. But that means that his imperatives are yours as well. We are not free to pick and choose. You can't do it. Don't try it. He will deal with you. And for somebody who is obstinately resisting any move toward Christ-likeness, we have to wonder, is it really an apple tree? Doesn't look like it. We are to kill sexual immorality, impurity, passion, 
if these are covetousness. Notice that these are all sins perpetrated outwardly against someone because of the root problem of coveting another person's body, for instance, instead of being content with what God has given. We are to put off, as for saying now, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Notice how these are not towards the bodies of others, but these are within and seeking to first nurture bitterness, anger towards someone that will then later respond with wrath, malice, intent to harm, slander, talk about them, and be obscene in your talk. And verse 9, we are to stop lying to each other. Now observe verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. You know who we're talking about there? That is the prodigal. Those are the sins of the prodigal. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Those are the sins of the elder brother, elder sister. Oh, you don't talk about them, but you just nurse them inside and become bitter in your interpersonal relationships. And verse 9, well, common to both, Stop lying is much more prevalent in elder brothers and sisters. Some of you have watched the show that we used to watch, Cheers, where everybody knows your name, and it's always just the same. And you can go in and you can be gut honest with who you are and your struggles and they'll still accept you. Such is the way of prodigals. But don't try that in a group of elder brothers. They'll kick you out and gossip about you. And so as God's chosen, holy and beloved, Put on, here's the positive, this is seeking things above. Jesus, I want to be like you. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Now think about those five. The middle one is the one that's inside you, but the other four are causing a reaction to others. 
It's because I'm, if I am, a humble man or woman, that I can be compassionate, that I can be kind, that I can be patient, that I can be meek. Application. Less than 60 second application. St. Carl Ferguson writes of Colossians 3, It is possible to become frustrated with Paul, for we find him issuing directives, kill, put off, put on, put to death. But we may feel like saying, well, it's well for you to keep saying those things, Paul, but how are we to do them? First principle, develop the mindset that the Spirit of God is given to us to enable us to put sin to death. God wants you to start looking, behaving, thinking, feeling more and more like Jesus. But you can't do it. But you have to want it. Which means you start praying for it. And you start saying, Lord, take from me my anger, my impurity, my malice, my slander, my obscenity, and give me a heart like you, Jesus. This is the first step. When we return to this on May 22nd, we will dive into some serious, how do I do this? Let's pray. Blessed are you, our Father, and thank you for showing us what humanity is supposed to look like. Thank you that in Jesus we have this beautiful picture of who we want to sound like, think like, feel like, walk like, behave like. Jesus, we produce your character in us. And as our blessing, who we pray for, new pastor Lucas comes, and we pray that you'll expedite that. Lord, prepare us to be presented before him as a church growing in the likeness of Christ. This we humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen.